lige kan vi sige lidt. Jumbo. Caribou. Uh, I'm Baba Chris, and this is Mama Chris. <clears throat> That's what they call us in Africa. You don't go by your own name. Uh, you go by your child's name. And since uh, people knew our son, I was Baba Chris, which means Chris's dad, and Teresa was Mama Chris, which means Chris's mama. <clears throat> And now you've also heard about 30% of the words I know in Swahili. So, <clears throat> um, we uh, had the good fortune to be able to spend about two and a half weeks in Nairobi with Chris and Crystal and Eli uh, in June. And uh, today what I wanted to do is kind of go through with two objectives in mind. One is to show you a little bit of taste of their daily life in Africa, what they, how they live, where they live, the things that they go through, uh, and also go through a little bit of the strategy behind the organization they work for, Missions of Hope International, and what that organization is all about, and uh, get to see some, a little bit of behind the scenes and so forth and so on. Uh, one thing I wanted to start off with is, I mean, everybody knows Africa, right? You recognize the continent of Africa. It's often called the Skull Continent because it's, it's kind of a i got to use my laser pointer because Chin gave me a laser pointer. <clears throat> it's shaped a little bit like a skull. Uh, what I didn't realize before I went there was how big Africa is. Uh, you can fit China, the United States, um, Japan, most of Europe, uh, India, in the continent of Africa. When we were flying from Zurich into Africa, it just seemed like you're over the Sahara Desert for days and days and days. It's a big, big place. So that's something that struck me about uh, Africa was how big it is. <clears throat> uh, Chris and Crystal live in Kenya, and you can always spot Kenya by finding the little eye in the skull, which is Lake Victoria, and that lake is partially in the country of Kenya. Kenya is, border, is on the eastern side of Africa. It has the Indian Ocean as one part of the border, Somalia to the east, Ethiopia to the north, South Sudan also to the northwest, Uganda to the west, and Tanzania to the south. They live in Nairobi, uh, which is in the southern part of, of Kenya. Nairobi is the capital of Kenya. It's south of the equator. I didn't check to see which way the drains drained. <clears throat> Forgot to do that. Uh, it's about 5,900 feet elevation. Uh, which I found out when we got to Pangani Center and went up to Chris's office on the fifth floor, and I couldn't breathe to get up there. <clears throat> uh, it's a 2009 census. There are about 3.5 million people in the city, so it's about comparable to the size of L.A., and there's about 6.5 million people in the metropolitan area. So it's, it's a very populous, dense area. It's also home to the largest slums in the world, and 22% of the Kenyans live in poverty. So uh, what I want to do is uh, give you a little bit of the day-to-day -day experience that they have. Downtown Kenya is pretty modern. It's something that we would recognize. Um, uh, Chris and Crystal live... Whoops. 
Uh, Chris and Crystal have a, a home that would be, by Kenyan standards, a pretty nice home. Uh, they live in a, con in a community with a number of other missionaries. They live up here in the Belosi Estate area, and they work down here at Pangani, which is adjacent to the Mathari Valley Slum, which is, runs along here. So they're really in, pretty close into where they work and in, into the slums that they work in. Their house comes equipped with a grandson. <laughs> I think all of their furniture is borrowed. They, I think they own one bookshelf, but couch, everything uh, is borrowed. And uh, Eli was, was wanting Dad to stop working and play with him. <clears throat> their grocery stores, they shop at a grocery store that looks a lot to me like Target, you know, pretty, pretty much the same. Uh, have a wide variety of things. The one thing that we discovered that they don't have so much in Africa is cheese. And the reason for that, I learned, was that about 75% of African Americans are lactose intolerant. Never knew that before. Is that right? <clears throat> okay. So cheese is not a big item in, in Nairobi. But you can see that the, the grocery stores that they go to are very modern, well-stocked. There's plenty of food and so forth. I'm trying, Chin. They also have sun-dried omena, which is like little fish that are dried out. I guess they eat them like um, chips. I don't know. I didn't try it. So <clears throat> that's one, one of the differences. They also have malls, uh, big malls that they can go to. And again, this would be a very familiar place. Parking structures. I'm trying with the clicker. So, the, you know, if you were plopped down into a mall in Nairobi, you might think you were in the United States. A lot of the stores are familiar stores. <clears throat> uh, one thing they do have are nice restaurants and Java House, which is one of my favorite places. Java, Java House is kind of the uh, Kenyan equivalent of Starbucks. I was told that it was uh, founded by a couple of Pepperdine students. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's very, very American. Uh, and they, they serve really good coffee because it's Kenya. I mean, that's where they grow coffee, right? Uh, and they also have probably the world's best chocolate cake, quite possibly. Uh, Chris and Crystal also have a number of restaurants that they like to go to. This one's called the Wasp and Sprout. It's uh, kind of where a lot of Americans go. Uh, there are a lot of Americans, Australians, English-speaking folks, free Wi-Fi. So again, they're on their, their laptops. A very, I mean, this could be in America, a very familiar scene as well. Oops. Uh, this is a, another restaurant called Amani that we went to, also very modern. Amani is a restaurant that has outdoor dining, and the proceeds from, from the restaurant and from the gift shop that's, that we, we may or may not have spent about $100 in, um, go to benefit a battered women's shelter. So that's uh, one, one of the reasons that the Chris and Crystal like to patronize this particular restaurant. They also like to patronize it because there's a playground there that Eli really likes as well. So everybody wins. And they have Kenyan coffee. What, what do you know about that? Really good coffee. When uh, Chris and Crystal first went to Africa, they worshipped in the slums at an African church. But when Eli came along, 
they changed that practice for two reasons. One, African churches have PA systems that they always turn up to 12 because they want the whole neighborhood to hear what's going on. And the second thing is, so they're, so they're worried about Eli's hearing, frankly. Uh, the second thing is that the services are about three hours long and it's considered very disrespectful to leave early. So when you have an 18-month-old, it gets fussy and you've got to put up with that for the next two hours. It's a little difficult. So uh, they're starting to go to this church, which is... Um, there we go, uh, which is made up of Americans and Kenyans, Australians, New Zealand, English, but the services are in English, and they're pretty much two songs and a prayer like we are. The one difference is that they do have songs in Swahili as well as English, so depending on your, your native tongue, you can sw- sing in Swahili if you like. They also have a playground there, so Eli likes that one as well. <clears throat> uh, other day-to-day things that they deal with, these are boda bodas. Uh, public transportation is pretty sketchy. Well, public transportation basically doesn't exist. But these guys on motorbikes, if you want to get somewhere, you hire a boda boda driver, and, and you say a prayer to survive. Uh, <clears throat> and you crawl in the back, and they'll take you where you want to go. Uh, so these guys zip in and out of traffic, and it's just, uh, it's, I don't know. Didn't try that either. They also have mutatus, which are these buses. Uh, that people can ride on. This guy was literally riding on the outside of the bus and <laughs> uh, for a while before he finally climbed in. And occasionally you'll be driving down the freeway <clears throat> and see a guy just hanging on the back of that truck, like you do. Uh, you know, 50 miles an hour, boom, boom, just don't fall off. Uh, this is in the neighborhood where Chris and Crystal live. Car wash, never saw a car there, maybe have something to do with the dirt driveway. I can't imagine that you can't drive out without getting mud all over your car, so like, why bother? Uh, They do have Coca-Cola, you know, what do you know? Uh, Be driving down the road and there will be these little roadside stands. This one happens to be selling shoes. You could buy, they have a roadside stand, all they sell is potatoes or cabbage or fish, you know, and just uh, people have little businesses set up anywhere and everywhere. Uh, once in a while, uh, some uh, on the outskirts of Nairobi, we ran into this guy, the shepherd. We saw a lot of shepherds and, and goats uh, herds off the side of the road. Uh, and this guy held us up for a little while while his, his uh, herd went by. Uh, there's also very modern developments. I call this Santa Clarita every time we bo- <laughs> drove by this. <clears throat> I said, oh, we're back in Santa Clarita, because uh, that's what it reminded me of. And then there are also some very run-down areas in the slums, obviously, where people are just packed in and living on top of each other. So they live, their section of life is pretty modern, pretty up-to-date. If you go to visit them and they'd love for you to do that, then you're more than welcome to, to stay in their home. Uh, they kind of are, are the, the host family for a lot of visiting American missionaries. Uh, but there are some drawbacks to living in Africa. One, you'll notice Eli here is all bundled up, and that's because their house has no heating and no air conditioning. They do have a fireplace over in the corner, but that's Eli's cave, so they can't use that for heating. So uh, south of the equator, this is their winter time, and the rainy season was kind of long this year. It usually ends around the end of May, but it, while we were there, it was still raining a little bit, so it was damp and chilly. Uh, so uh, Chris was wearing his Paramount Baywatch lifeguard sweatshirt a lot, <clears throat> and uh, Grandma was also bundled up, 
when, when she was around the house. Plastic bags are illegal in Kenya. So if you go visit them, pack everything in a plastic bag, because customs will probably say, I don't want to deal with it, and they'll let you through. But you can't carry a, a package of plastic bags to Kenya. It's illegal. So they reuse them, they wash them, and dry them, and uh, try to hang on to them as long as they can. Uh, city water is probably okay to drink. I mean, I got plenty in my mouth when I was brushing my teeth, but it's not reliable entirely. So most people, even Kenyans, have water filter systems so that all the drinking water and cooking water gets filtered before it, uh, it's consumed. <clears throat> and that brings up another interesting point. On their faucets, on the right-hand faucet, when you turn that on, that's water coming from the city. Water coming from the city is not always there because the pressure isn't always there. So if you turn on the right-hand faucet and nothing comes out, you close that and you turn on the left-hand faucet and that accesses water that's in a tank up in their attic. Now the water in the tank is refilled by city water pressure. So if the city water pressure doesn't come back for a few days, at some point you run out of water in your tank and you're just without water. And that's happened once or twice to Crystal as well. There is a monkey there. We'll get into that in a moment. <clears throat> I noticed Sean picked up on that right away. <clears throat> Here's the other cool thing about living in Africa. There's no hot water. They don't have hot water coming out of their faucets. So imagine the showers. <clears throat> Actually, no. What you do before you take a shower is you turn this little switch on at the door of the, of the bathroom. And that sends electricity to the shower head, which is what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> and that heats up the water so you can take a shower. And you control the temperature by how much, you, how much water goes through the shower head. More water is cooler, less water is warmer. <clears throat> I did mention the monkeys. Uh, it seemed like every afternoon a herd of monkeys would come through their neighborhood. They have a couple of big avocado trees in the backyard, and they're good avocados, and Crystal loves cooking with avocados. So she and the monkeys battle it out constantly <laughs> over who gets the avocados. <clears throat> and uh, they'll come through, they'll throw things around on the patio, they'll take the cushions off the chairs and toss them around, and they just sort of hang out for a while going after the avocados. They just crawl over the fences... I mean, you can't keep a monkey out of anything. They can go anywhere they want, you know? So, and there might be as many as a dozen, sometimes just a couple. They're kind of destructive. You notice the rain gutter there, they, which is they've torn down from swinging on it. And if there's an internet wire or something, they'll try to swing on those wires uh, and tear them down. So they're cute at first, and then they get annoying, especially if you leave a window open and they come in your kitchen and steal bananas off the counter. Uh, I would not want to be in a kitchen with a trapped monkey because I, I wouldn't want to have a fight with one. So, they, like I said, they would come through in the afternoon and, and then they would clear out and, and go on their way to the next house. Uh, traffic is another thing. It's a big city. There's a lot of cars. There are freeways. There are Some of the roads are, are horrendous. So, Chris gets on the, on the freeway to go to work and he hopes that it's not jammed like the 405, which it is sometimes. <clears throat> uh, the other thing about traffic, obviously they drive on the left-hand side of the road, which is weird at first, but you kind of get used to that. 
Uh, what I didn't get used to is that you can be out on the highway like this driving at you know a good rate of speed and people just will cross in front of you and they just watch for you and you know there you go it's like no big deal everybody does it also even though you're driving on the left hand side of the road if there's a pothole on your side you're expected to go around it and the guy coming from the other direction is just he's going to wait for you and they're pretty polite about that everybody kind of knows the drill and they'll, they'll wait for you to go around the pothole and there are a lot of potholes or if you're on the highway and a truck is trying to pass and oops there's another big truck coming they'll just cut you off, maybe give you a little tap on the horn uh, and, and cut in. And then at other places, other times, it's just like the wild, wild west. All these little Matutu vans are over here picking people up and dropping people off. So it's just sort of this uh, chaotic ballet of cars trying to get to work in the morning. And I, I came to the conclusion that nobody honks their horn like in L.A., Maybe a little tap just to warn you, but nobody's leaning the horn uh, being angry. Very few posted speed limits. The way they control the speed is by speed bumps. Some of them are marked, some of them aren't. You don't want to hit one going 50 miles an hour. <clears throat> this is a fairly typical scene also at the side of the road where all these, we'd call it a flea market. Um, these are people's permanent businesses. This is, where they, this is where they work. They don't take this stuff down at night and go home. This is all left up for the next business day. And you can buy clothing, shoes, food, just electronics, just all kinds of stuff uh, here. here. There goes a boda boda, probably making a delivery to one of the vendors here. Uh, other places you can drive by and just these are all little businesses that people have. Uh, it's a third world country, so there are parts of Nairobi that are obviously very run down and very poverty stricken. You see all the boda bodas. And then again, it's always this, uh, this chaotic ballet of traffic. Just, here we go. Watch out for that guy. He's going to watch out for you. Uh, I'm convinced that if you have ADD, you don't survive very long in Nairobi because you've got to pay attention. These pedestrians have got to pay attention. Otherwise, they will get run down. People don't slow down for you. Uh, the, the community that Chris and Crystal live in is called Mathaiga uh, North Gardens. It's a gated community. They, like I say, a lot of the missionary families live there. Security is a big, big deal in Africa. Uh, that's something you notice just about everywhere you go. Um, I love this sign, no hooting or flashlighting. Uh, you don't want to do that because the guards will get on your case. Uh, a lot of the homes, well, practically all the homes we saw, will have a high fence with uh, razor wire and electric, fence, electric wire along the top of the fence to keep out intruders. Uh, this is at a restaurant. The restaurant was gated off. The guard opens the gate, let you in, and closes the gate behind you. Uh, the malls, uh, before you can get into the mall parking lot, they inspect your car, and they go through your car, the trunk, the glove box, you know, the back seat, everything. They check it out very, very closely. <clears throat> uh, Chris always kept saying, don't take pictures of the security guards. So I, I didn't get a lot of pictures that I wanted to. I accidentally got a picture of this guy because uh, I was taking a picture of the mall and I put my camera up and took a picture and Chris immediately knocked my hand down and says, don't, there's a security guard. <clears throat> he's not carrying a rifle, he's carrying a submachine gun. They're like serious about security over there. 
Uh, to get in the mall, you also go through a metal detector. And once you're in the mall, there's security everywhere. These guys are uh, standing guard, uh, Nairobi police with rifles. Uh, we were out in uh, Nairoc, which is outside of Nairobi, and this group of Nairobi police went walking by, and they were all armed with rifles. To get to the grocery store, this is like a little corner grocery store that Chris goes to, they wand you before you can go inside. So security is a, is a big deal. Uh, this is another grocery store we went to, and this woman, you can't see it, because I was, you know, again, sneaking the picture, but she had a submachine gun strapped to the front of her uh, going through the grocery store. So security is a, is a very big, big issue. Uh, Chris has talked about when they came home one time, he says it's nice to be able to come home where you can relax and you're not watching over your shoulder. So that's some of the stress they put up with uh, just on a day-to-day -day basis in living in Nairobi. So that gives you some idea what their day-to-day -day life is like. Uh, it's hard to live in Africa, I think. They are better off than probably 98% of the population, but it's still hard. It's a hard life for them. They don't go out after dark. Their, their home has a gate that they lock, close and lock uh, in front of the driveway every night. And about the only reason they go out after dark is if they're making an airport run to pick up a missionary or give somebody a ride to the airport. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, Mohi, uh, the, the people and the mission and the strategy behind Missions of Hope International, which is the school that Chris and Crystal work at. Uh, Mohi was founded by this couple, Mary and Wallace Kamau. Uh, they met in the mid-1990s, and they were both working in the slums kind of independently, but they, they both had a, a vision of establishing a long-term ministry in the slums. Now, Nairobi, as I mentioned, has the largest slums in the world. About a million people live in a three-square-mile area in the Mathari Valley, and on average, they exist on $2 a day. That's their income. Uh, many households are single mothers, uh, and a lot, a lot of times those women will care for children of deceased relatives or other orphans from people they know. Uh, typical house is a 10 by 10 corrugated tin shanty uh, with a dirt floor, no electricity, no water. Uh, there are open sewers um, throughout the, the valley. There's, I mean, there's no plumbing for the most part, so sewage just runs into, into the streets, down ditches and so forth. Uh, there are a lot of little alleyways like this, and that's, that's the way some people get to their shanty, is going up an alleyway like, like this. In uh, the rainy season, if it's rainy enough and it floods, then the floods just come through the valley because it's a valley, uh, and they're in a low spot, and uh, the shanties just flood. Uh, <clears throat> there's an estimated 70,000 kids who live in Mathari Valley. I think that's got to be a low estimate. I, mean, I think with a million people, there's certainly more than 70,000 of them children, but I don't know. And all the kids love to give you high fives. They love to shake your hand. They're very friendly. Uh, they love to have their picture taken. They'll just line up and pose for you if, you if you bring a camera out. So very friendly people. Kenyans are very, very outgoing, very friendly people. But the Kamals uh, kind of got tired of this hit-and-run approach that a lot of churches, you know, churches come from America or from Europe or Australia, and they're there for a week or two weeks, and they do a program, which is great and something that they're gr grateful for. But then all those people go home. So, 
So Wallace and Mary said, we want something a little bit more permanent. So in 2000, they rented a two-room shanty in the Mathari village, and they started a school with about 50 students. And today, uh, that's grown to over 16,000 students at over 20 locations, most of them uh, in the Mathari Valley. These are some of the locations that Mohi runs schools in, in the slums. <clears throat> Chris and Crystal work here at the uh, kind of the headquarters school, the Pangani Center. Um, Chris is in charge of the communication department. There he is in his luxurious office with uh, two of his Kenyan co-workers and one, one American co-worker. Uh, they have a small studio next door that they can shoot videos in. And Crystal, uh, she's recently kind of transitioned to a different job. She's part of the support team that handles missionaries and interns. And as I mentioned, they're the unofficial airport taxi. Uh, not really a fun job when somebody's coming in at 2 in the morning, but they like it because they get a chance to meet all the visiting missionaries and all the interns and, and so forth and get to know them because a lot of them are, are from uh, the States. Uh, this guy, Bruce, was from the East Coast, and he was visiting while we were there. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about him later. The Pangani building was, uh, was purchased in 2006. I think it's telling that um, people in the slums donated $4,000 uh, toward its purchase, which uh, you know, is, a, is a pretty good amount, I think, for people who are living on $2 a day. And they're right on the edge of the slum. Pangani, Missions of Hope is right here, and here, right on the edge of the slum that stretches out through the Mathari Valley that way. So that when you look out Chris's uh, office door, this is what you see. You're literally in, in the middle of the slums. Uh, this is the employee parking lot. And oh, there's Mama Chris, <clears throat> came to visit. <clears throat> Africa is a, a really a, a, a place of uh, contrast, and I wanted to point out that here below the estate is where Chris and Crystal live, which is a very nice community. Here's the Mathaiga Golf Club, the Karura Forest, really nice, nice areas, and they're literally, you know, a few thousand yards away is one of the biggest slums in the world. So they're like right on the edge of where they work and very close to, uh, to what's going on. Chris's commute is only a few miles, and uh, he, he jumps on the freeway here. And I'm just going to let this run a little bit long so you can kind of get a taste of it, because this is very much like California might be, except for the rain. Here's the Shell gas station we go to. One little courtesy tap, don't run into me. At LA, they'd be leaning on the horn, I think. And when he pulls off the freeway, he gets into the, uh, the Pangini section of the slums. And uh, the road conditions worsen quite a bit. They have all-wheel drive cars because they have to, not because they want to. I think if they could afford it, they'd probably buy a Land Cruiser or a Hummer because some of the areas they visit are very, very difficult to get by, uh, even in a four-wheel drive Subaru. And again, these are people that live in the slums, but they have little businesses. Everybody is very, very enterprising, 
they're all, you know, getting by. They're all uh, doing what they need to do to make a living. And then finally, if you don't hit somebody's chicken, <clears throat> you'll turn the corner here. And there's Missions of Hope Pangani Center, where their office is. There are classrooms and all the administrative offices for Missions of Hope International. <clears throat> Missions of Hope works on a strategy called CHE, Community Health Evangelism. And um, there are four parts to that. One is to educate people, primarily children, educate the next generation. They want to empower the adults, the, the families, through vocational training and business training. They want to restore health to the community through medical care and dental care, uh, and also counseling, uh, family counseling, drug and alcohol rehabilitation counseling. And then finally, all of that really is the foundation toward redemption, because uh, ultimately what they want to do is transform lives through the gospel of Christ. So they meet physical needs, and then they all also nourish the soul of the people through a relationship with Christ. Uh, we got to go through the slums with Irene here on the left and Jackie on the right. Uh, Irene and Jackie came to Nairobi and uh, went to the university and graduated with degrees in social work, so they came to work for Mohi as social workers. And they took us through the slums, and they know everybody in the slum. It was incredible. That's their job. They just kind of walk around and meet people and meet families. And uh, what they want to do is be looking for kids who are at risk or who families that they think would be um, benefited by becoming a Mohi family and sending their kids to school. <clears throat> Jackie told me that the number one thing that they need to work on first is health. That's the number one thing, because nothing else happens until you're healthy. And part, because of that, uh, water is a big, big part of health, clean water. If you drink water out of the Nairobi River, all that raw sewage, that's where it's going. And people wash their clothes and bathe and use that as a drinking water supply. So one of the things Mohi did right away was they started a water bottling plant. So they bottle their own water, uh, and they have a, a bottle of a water brand called Hope Springs, and they make that available to the Mohi families. So at least they have clean drinking water. Um, they also want to give students two good meals a day. So these are some of the ladies at the Pangani Center preparing lunch. Mohi serves over 26,000 meals every day to their students. Let me go back. This is uh, one of the cooks in the Pangani kitchen. He's telling, uh, showing Teresa what's for lunch. Uh, this is at a, a remote site called Joska, which is a, a boarding school, and they have pretty much an outdoor kitchen where they prepare the meals for the kids there. This is a lady making kale. They eat a lot of kale because they can grow kale easily and it's very nutritious. So she was a little bit shy of the camera. And then in another part of the kitchen, they're stirring, I'm not sure what that was, beans or something. <clears throat> now, to me, it's impressive that they serve 26,000 meals every single day to students. But I think what's even more impressive than that is that it's all done over fired uh, cooking. They don't have electric stoves. They don't have 
you know, ovens and stuff. Every, they have to cut wood and bring the wood in to eat the meals. And they're, they're simple meals, but they're nutritious. We ate there, never had a problem. Um, you know, so they, they do make really good meals for the, the children. Because they give so much food out, they also grow their own food. At Joska, they have a farm. They gave us a, a quick tour of it. I love this uh, little sign where it says, Farming God's Way, Acknowledge God and God Alone. That means it's all organic. Uh, they, they don't use any pesticides. And they have hot houses where they grow tomatoes. And uh, this, this guy's in charge of the farm there. He was explaining they don't really have much farm equipment because they don't plow the fields. Africa has really rocky soil. I don't think plowing would be very feasible anyway. So they just kind of replant, replant. And uh, Joska, they don't grow all the food that they serve in uh, Mohi schools, but they um, really reduce their cost of buying food by supplying a lot of themselves. A medical clinic is also a big thing. Um, there are three clinics at Pangani, Joska, and Napu. And they, they give the priority to Mohi families and also they will reach out to the community as they have the resources. This was a clinic being done at a place called Githuru. Uh This was a team from Rancho Cucamonga, actually, who came. Skin infections are a big deal for people who live in the slums. So they were treating this young man's uh, skin infection. They have a, a Pangani. They have a pharmacy and a, and a lab that we were able to visit. Uh, the pharmacy is not overly stocked, I wouldn't say, but they, you know, have all the basics, and they also have a dental clinic uh, at the Pangani Center as well, where people can get dental work done. Uh, here at Joska, is the, the remote location I talked about, they have a, a big health center there, and that team from Rancho Cucamonga, big church in Rancho Cucamonga, was there screening people from the community. Here was a family that came in, I think their little, her little boy was sick. Um, they have a lab there so they can do blood work. They also do classes on uh, healthy eating, you know, good nutrition, and child survival classes on you know, how, to, how expectant mothers should be prenatally and, and how to take care of their child and feed their child well after it's born. Uh, here's a good example of some of the roads that Chris drives across to get to some of the locations. This was the day we went to a place called Kariabangi. This is also why he goes through tires a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, this is Kariabangi, which is a fairly new adult vocational center, uh, also in the slum area. But it's a recently acquired property that they've kind of remodeled and fixed up. And they have a number of adult vocational classes going on there. Uh, they teach sewing. Uh, seamstress work. They make their own uh, patterns and so forth and teach primarily women to sew. There were a few men as well. Uh, I, I love this picture because th they use a Portland cement bag uh, to practice on because fabric, fabric is expensive. So, you know, they use what they, what they have uh, to learn how to do their sewing. They also teach knitting. And what they'll do then is once people are trained and they can sew and they can knit, then they'll they make all the uniforms for the Mohi students because that, that employs adults. It's a way to uh, give people jobs and give them a, a livelihood. 
all these kids are wearing uniforms and sweaters that were made by Mohi adults that were trained to do knitting and sewing and so forth. Uh, also, plumbing is a big vocation. Men, men can make a good living plumbing. Everywhere needs plumbers, right? So these guys were learning how to do different plumbing fittings. Uh, Bruce, the fellow I mentioned before, is the former Church of Christ minister, and his brother owns a big plumbing company in the East Coast um, and is very wealthy. So they, he paid to send a team of American plumbers over to the Kariabongi Center to do a weeks-long plumbing training session for the people. And we Skyped with Chris yesterday morning, and he said it went really, really well. Uh, Bruce had come over early because he, he didn't know where to buy parts and didn't know what building codes were and so forth. So he came over while we were there to research it, and then his team just went back uh, maybe today. I think maybe they were going back. Uh, welding is also a, a big vocation. You see a lot of people out on the streets welding trailer hitches, you know, broken car parts and so forth. They also teach uh, jewelry making and uh, hairdressing, hair weaving. Sean, you got to go over there and teach some hair weaving. I'm serious. You go over there and do a guest uh, seminar or something for them. Uh, esthetician, they're, they're doing pedicures here. So they, they teach people vocations that they can go out and make a living with uh, as part of empowering them. Uh, a number of the centers have computer labs where people can learn IT. And Joska also has a small farm. I'm sorry, Kariabangi also has a small farm where they grow some of their food. This is the director of the Kariabangi School. He really emphasized to us, he said, the education we give our students, our adult students here, is comparable to a community college education. And he was studying some of the uh, certification requirements so that uh, their graduates, when they graduate, can pass whatever certification tests that they need uh, to work. Uh, these are some, some women up in Turkana, which is way north of uh, Nairobi. It's a much more remote area. They make baskets. And uh, Mohi also has its own brand of coffee. And those are sold at a gift shop because when the Americans come over to do missions, they want to buy a souvenir. And they'll buy baskets and jewelry and coffee and any number of things. And all that, that funding goes back to, to support Mohi. <clears throat> um, I like this because uh, they, they help people start their own business, but then they also support them after they've started. This is a Christian businessman's training conference. How do you run your business as a Christian? And uh, when I heard about that, it's like, why don't we do that here? You know, uh, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, up on his uh, PowerPoint, he says, God is the owner of my business. So those are the kind of concepts they're teaching to the people. That he, you know, we'll help you start a business, but we want you to run it as a Christian would run their business. Uh, this is a group, a microfinance group who's meeting, because they do a lot of microfinancing for people who want to start their own business. What does that mean when the, kind of the rubber hits the road? Well, this, this woman is named Sarah, and Sarah lives in the slums. This was on the way to Sarah's house. Uh, that, that's the way uh, she gets to and from her house every day. Um, Sarah and her husband have raised a family in the slums. They have one girl who's a Rebecca, who's a student at Mohi, and two sons who are in high school. Uh, they have one of the bigger shanties because they actually have a small bed that she and her husband get to sleep in, and their kids sleep on the floor. 
and Mohi gave them some microfinancing to start a couple of small businesses. <coughs> and uh, we, we went in and talked to her, and when we asked her what she needed, uh, the only thing she wanted was prayers for, for the success of her business. So that's kind of an example of what all of this strategy and you know, overarching objectives leads to is people like Rebecca, or uh, like Sarah, I mean. Uh, this is Mary Naganu. She lives in the uh, Mathari Valley. She's a single mom, has one student at Mohi. And um, Mohi microfinanced for her this little uh, cooking pot where she can fry up sliced potatoes. Really popular in the slums, so we got to meet her. You both look alike. <laughs> That's what she's saying. It's Irene translating, saying that we look, the two white people look alike. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that makes sense, right? <laughs> so Mary has been able to, through a Mohi microfinance loan, make a business that she can do out of her shanty in the slum and support her, her family. Uh, this is Korogochu. <clears throat> Education obviously is a big part of Mohi's efforts. There are uh, 21 locations and they're just sort of spread out through the slums because if you live in a slum you don't have a car to drive to school and there's not a bus that's gonna take you to school. So Mohi goes to the people and they'll just find a little area uh, and build a few classrooms. Korogochu is actually spread out over three different areas, and you, this is the way you get from one area to another. And if they are able to get a little spot down around the corner here, then they'll put in a playground. Korogochu B, which we visited, uh, have 445 students from primary through grade seven and they've got a staff of about 27 people that work there. Here's going to another area. And again, it's just, you know, you wind your way through the slums. It's just like a, a, a grand maze of alleyways and so forth. Jackie and Irene are very protective of Mama Chris. This little boy's grumpy because he's not a Mohi student. Maybe someday. And then we go over here around another corner next to the mud houses. And here are some more Mohi classrooms that they've built. So they'll just go in and in the slums and you know an area that has need and they'll find the, the property they, they need and build classrooms. Uh, this is the uh, administrative staff office. 
or the, you know, essentially the principal and the assistants and, uh, and that staff works in a little kitchen area where they prepare the meals for the students. And all these kids have little uniforms that they wear to identify them. Wow is a typical greeting, and we got that one at Josca. We got that everywhere we went. Uh, this is Josca, which is outside of Nairobi, about 20 miles. <clears throat> it's a pretty remote location. There are very few uh, social amenities there. And it's a boarding school, primarily for girls, although they've opened it up to boys from the community who live close by. And again, they got to get the high fives. they got to get the handshakes. All the kids really love Mama Teresa. Soccer at recess is always a big thing. Kids are kids, no matter where they are. Joska has about 650 primary students and 330 high school students with a staff of 78. These are some of the girls' dorms where the, the girls come, the board, who come from the surrounding countryside and, uh, and live there. This is the uh, teacher offices. They do grading papers and so forth. Uh, Clinton was one of the original students at Mohi back in the, when, it very be, when it began. And he graduated from Mohi, went on to university, and now he's become a pastor and planted a church in Joska that is about 150 members. So, uh, and he also serves as the pastor for the, the Joska school uh, as well. They are... Expanding at Joska, this is a new dormitory building that they're uh, still under construction, uh, bigger dormitories and more classrooms. They have a large uh, gymnasium that's not complete for lack of funds. And while we were there, they insisted on giving us lunch, and uh, it, it was always good. So I told Clinton, I said, I want you to come to Glendale and be our PR guy, because he, man, he, he is so... Uh, vision-focused and excited about what he's doing. So he was a great guy. Hope is uh, it's an important word in Africa, in Kenya. You know, in a poor country, when you have very little else, hope is about all you can hang on to. And you'll see hope in the names of businesses and, and organizations all over the place. And again, Moi is providing that strategy through four, four different parts. One is educating the next generation, they do pre-primary through high school in 23 different locations. Um, they have 16,242 enrolled students. And Mohi graduates are, are now going on to prestigious schools like the London School of Economics, uh, University of Toronto, and so forth. They're finally kind of getting a little momentum uh, with their educational system that they, the students are doing very well on standardized tests in Kenya. Uh, I think... Mary Kamau's long-term goal is to take over education from the government and just run it all for the government. And if anybody could do it, she would. I think she's just she's the the kind of person who doesn't say what are the what, why can't we do this? It's always just like how why can we? You know how how can we? Why shouldn't we just go ahead and do this? Uh, they also empower adults in the community, uh, economically, socially, and emotionally, and they through vocational training. There's some ladies receiving their certificate. 
Uh, they have about 400 skilled training graduates annually. They offer Christian business training for those who run businesses now. And they've done over 6,000 microfinance loans to date. Um, restoring healthy bodies, minds, and relationships. They do a lot of medical care, the, the three um, clinics that they run. They treat about 9,000 patients annually, uh, provide health training, dental care, home visits by uh, Mohi social workers, so family problems, drug alcohol problems, uh, Mohi social workers are there to help out. <clears throat> this is a, another microfinance group meeting. And finally, uh, redemption, because they want to use all of the above to transform lives through the gospel of Christ. So they plant churches. This is at uh, um, Babadogo, uh, a new church building that they were dedicating. Uh, I'm not sure where this was, but uh, they, they were doing something. I don't know. Going to go inside the building eventually, I guess. Uh, and the bottom line is that they're teaching the gospel of Christ and they're baptizing people into Christ. Now, no presentation would be complete without a call to action. Because <clears throat> I, I know a lot of people say, well, if I have a million dollars, I'd love to buy a building. Or, you know, if I had enough money, I'd buy a bus or something like that. But nobody ever has that. Well, maybe some of you, I don't know. But most of us don't. But there is a way that I think any uh, American can contribute to the work there, and that's sponsoring a child. While we were there, um, we got to meet our sponsored child. This is Monica Waini Julius. She just turned six years old. She and her sister are from a single parent family, just her mom, uh, but they both attend Mohi School. And she doesn't speak much English because she's, she's so young, she's still learning it. But she did speak backpack full of stickers and stuff. <laughs> uh, we went to the mall and, and bought her a backpack and a Bible and some school supplies and so forth. So I'm not sure she really understood what was going on, who these people were that she was meeting, but she did go away happy with that backpack. <laughs> and uh, the, the kids really love having a sponsor. We send letters to her, and she sends letters back, and so forth. So if you're interested in doing a sponsorship, it's, I think it's about 40 bucks a month. Um, and I think it's a great way to, to support the student population. Um, <clears throat> the thing I kind of want to conclude on here is that, you know, this is John, and he's our brother in Christ. He's not like us. He doesn't speak our language. He doesn't live in a house like we live in. He's a lot different than we are, but he's our brother in Christ. This is Mary. She's a sister in Christ. She doesn't speak our language. She's a lot different than we are but she's a sister in Christ. Um, Sarah is a sister in Christ. Lucy is a baptized believer who works at, at Mohi. Uh, Chris did a video about her a few months back. This woman in Turkana, which is primarily a Muslim area, um, I don't know what her religious affiliation is. It's probably Islamic, some sort, but she's reading a Bible because of the efforts of Mohi. And to me, that's 
<clears throat> that's what it really gets all down to, is that they're, they're sharing the gospel of Christ in ways that would be unfamiliar and maybe uncomfortable for us, but they are sharing that gospel message that God exists, that he had a son, Jesus, who came and died for us, and they're being baptized and becoming Christians. So hope is a big word, and I'm, I'm just very, very proud, and Chris and Crystal are also very thankful that this congregation has helped support them in spreading that hope in Kenya. Uh, we're going to do something that all those people you just saw already did today because they're 10 hours ahead of us. Uh, they've already been to church. I think John goes to Pangani. Uh, John and uh, Mary go to Pangani. Um, they, they gathered together, and they sang songs, and they, they participated in communion, something to remember the death of Christ. And we're going to do that right now. So I appreciate your time, and I'm going to turn it over to Chris and uh, let you take over from here. That work, and we we just we just wanted to have an opportunity to to remind all of us of the great work that we get to in some way be part of. And as Jim said, we get a chance to uh, share in communion now, and it's something that they participated in ten hours ago. But we have communion set up in the back or in the front here, and during this uh, final song, uh, we can. Uh, remember together, we're singing He Knows My Name, and it's a song that helps us remember that God knows our name, and then also that God cares for those people as well, who we are able to bless through uh, Chris and Crystal's efforts. Let's pray together. Uh, God, as we sing now, and as uh, we remember uh, your son, uh, may we recognize that we all gather around this table um, as uh, brothers and sisters, and we're thankful for the, the great work that Chris, Crystal, and Eli do uh, to bless one of the poorest parts of the world. And we are just thankful that we get the opportunity uh, to be part of that. We are thankful that you know our name, and we're thankful that we get to tell others that you know their names as well. Thank you for the work of Mohi, and I pray you just continue to bless uh, their efforts in transforming an area that desperately needs it. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. So again, you can come to the back or in the front as we're doing this last song. <laughs>